All right, so one-time Oregon transfer portal target Varkey's Gums, a tight end, is back in the portal again. But I don't think Oregon's going to go after him. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. You're just going to have to remember my name today if you're watching on YouTube. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch the show. Thank you to everybody and all the everydayers, everydayers out there who tune in every single day day i know who you are i know you're out there and i appreciate you greatly and i appreciate that you can put up with the uh, a little 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 technical mishap on the recording side so my name isn't here but i hope by now we know what my name is i know what my name is i hope you know we all know the name varkey's gums so varkey's gums is in the middle of a fascinating situation he's at the centerpiece of a news story that i find to be just like surprising on the one hand, but then not surprising on the other hand. Here's why. So he plays at North Texas in 2022. He has a great season. I believe he was a freshman All-American. He goes into the portal and there's more than one power five school after him. Oregon on that list. And when Terrence Ferguson went down in spring with an injury, not expected to be serious, should be fine for the fall. It kind of shed light onto something I talked about on the show and other Oregon people had uh, discussed as well, which is that, hey, three scholarship tight ends and one of them being a true freshman might not be the most sustainable path. You're operating on thin ice. You need to add a transfer. So Varkey's Gums was a legitimate option. He's a very talented option as well. So he goes into the portal and he commits to Arkansas. Okay. Arkansas is a good program. It's closer to where he's been the last couple of years. All right. I get it. No big deal. Not an indictment of Oregon in any way, shape, or form. So Oregon then goes back into the transfer portal, which is always hopping with uh, with names, as we all know. And they add Casey Kelly. And Casey Kelly is a tight end transfer from Ole Miss. He was mostly in a reserve role there. He's a one-time dual-threat quarterback recruit who was a preferred walk-on, then earned a scholarship at Ole Miss. So they've added him to the roster. And so everybody kind of thought, okay, you know, we're, we're done now, right? Well, no, maybe we're not done because Varkey's Gums has decided he's not going to Arkansas. Now, there were only one of about 576 things that could have taken place that have caused him to decide, no, Arkansas is not his preferred destination. Now, logistically here, and I will draw on the knowledge I have having spoken to college administrators and athletic directors in, in my other job in this particular moment. This is when it really becomes uh, quite useful. So when you announce that you are going to a particular school after having entered the transfer portal, you don't necessarily have to have enrolled in that school. That can just be where your intentions are, though typically that is something that's in the process of happening once that transfer gets announced. And a number of you have asked, like, hey, how is this possible? How can this happen or whatnot? And that's what I'm attempting to explain here. If I don't do some, if I don't say something particularly clear, just let me know at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. Those are the Twitter handles. 
You can also hop in the YouTube comments, drop me a question there. I monitor those every day. So basically, what what I believe the NCAA is saying here is the transfer portal window window has closed. That does not mean players cannot come out of the portal. The windows that we've heard and and that are kind of new in the NCAA, I think they're new this year, actually, if I'm not mistaken, for the transfer portal, those are windows to enter the portal. The deadline to come out of the portal, my understanding, is about July 1st, because that's when compliance has to have you officially enrolled into a university by to start taking classes in the fall and being a member of that school or whatever sports team you are going to be playing on. So you can come out of the portal anytime. The window to go into the portal, it's still open for college basketball, but it has now closed for football. It closed on May 1st. But what likely happened with Varkey's gums is something caused him to change his mind or something didn't go through, transcripts, grades, not filling out paperwork correctly. We all remember the Peyton Bowen situation. Like all that sort of stuff is possible. Don't have any insight on what that was, but he is still in the eyes of the NCAA, as to my understanding, it is seen as if he never really committed to Arkansas. Like he was never enrolled there. And so he is therefore just someone who had entered the portal in the window and could still come out of it come out of it at this point in time so logistically that's where we're sitting now turn this over to Oregon would they still go after him my guess is no because they've added a guy in Casey Kelly who has been a reserve tight end for the last several years probably comes to Oregon with some expectation of an increased role but I think at best he's the number two tight end and I think he's probably the number three you're probably Tiford Patrick Herbert Casey Kelly and Kenyon Sadiq battling it out for that number three tight end spot. And Sadiq, heck, he might get lined up out wide sometime. We saw him in the spring game. He's, you know, not the biggest guy in the world. He's not like a Matavau or a Cam McCormick uh, or or Mateo Uyunglele. He is, you know, a lot closer to like Treshawn Holden in terms of body size. He's a little bit uh, thicker than Treshawn Holden, but not by a lot, right? And we saw him, and he's really fast and nimble, and he's got a lot of lot of upside there. But I don't see. Varkis Gums as being someone Oregon is then going to go back into the portal to go after. Do they have the scholarship room to do so? Sure. Sure. They absolutely could. And heck, you could you could look at Kenyon Sadiq and say, yeah, why don't we just move him over to wide receiver and then bring in Varkis Gums at tight end? I could see that. But given that they've already added Casey Kelly, given that he's already announced that he's going to transfer to Oregon and has probably already, you know, gone through the compliance side of things to be an Oregon duck, it wouldn't make much sense. Like people have suggested, you know, like, Oh, well, could they just go back on it? No, no, no. They're not going to do that. I, I I really don't think they're going to do that. That would be an ugly, ugly look for a school to say, yeah, we're bringing in this transfer. No, actually we don't want this transfer. We want that guy over there. I know it's the wild West and it's a new world of college football and everything, but that seems highly unlikely to me. So then it just comes down to whether or not you would want to add Varkey's gums to that tight end room. And if you don't have, or if you have that much competition now, a whole nother guy in there who's a scholarship player competing for the number two tight end slot, Varkey's Gums is a talented dude. He will have other schools interested in his playing capabilities. 
That's why he's had so many teams after him so far, right? Schools like Arkansas and Oregon. And there have been other offers that, that, that have come his way. And I think he's more likely to go explore those because I think for him, he doesn't, he, he can't possibly look at this tight end room and, and think that it is the best path to playing time for him at a power five institution, because there are now three guys he's got to compete with. One of which you can't barring an injury, Terrence Ferguson, and then Patrick Herbert looked pretty darn good in the spring game, by the way. And then you've also got Casey Kelly in there and Kenyon Sadiq, the true freshman. It just seems like that's a lot of competition. And I don't think Oregon's going to go back on Casey Kelly. I don't think they need to, by the way. I think Kelly's a pretty perfect addition, right? I, I've talked about him throughout the week on the show. A guy who understands his role, doesn't need targets, can come in, be solid, be productive, be be reliable when when, when called upon. You know, he, he reportedly, according to our Locked On Ole Miss host, Stephen Willis, has, you know, had a couple drop issues in the past. But if he cleans that up, then I think he's kind of the perfect fit. And I think Gums would have higher expectations. So I don't see that as being a fit. And I don't see, you know, why, why Oregon would want to add him. Because I do think tight end is a position where a, a true freshman can get some playing time. I'll tell you why after I tell you about Built Bars, which are a delicious snack, but don't have all the sugar and calories. They are fantastic they're covered in 100 real chocolate they're healthy they taste amazing they've got a bunch of great flavors churro mint brownie peanut butter brownie cookies and cream the list goes on and on i don't know how built does it because they taste so great but they only have 130 calories four grams of sugar a whopping 17 grams of protein you don't need to wait to get a box for years we've been talking about how ordering built bars at built.com is a viable option, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can get your specialty flavors still at Built.com. Go to Walmart, walk to the pharmacy section, grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can also go to Sam's Club, get a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, brownie, batter, puff, and churro puff. I've had both. They're absolutely awesome. Go get your next order of Built Bars today, however and wherever. Built.com, Walmart, Sam's Club, and you can thank me later. Okay, so on on the true freshman front, like I don't think having to rely on a true freshman at the tight end position is great, especially for a guy like Sadiq, who from a blocking standpoint might need to add a, a little bit of weight, but overall is you know kind of the modern tight end or so, you know, the Kyle Pitts type. But think back to 2021. There were not one, but two. Yes, that's right. Two Oregon tight ends who contributed as true freshmen in major ways. Terrence Ferguson, Maliki Matavao. Both of them. Montevall caught a touchdown against Ohio State. T. Ferg was one of the starters on that team. They had a big role to play. So I, I don't think it's impossible to see him as being someone who, you know, plays from time to time, part of a 14J package, line him up out wide from time to time if they think that's something that, that he could do or that they need him to do. I, I think now with a scholarship tight end transfer, I think Oregon is set. Like, would I be opposed to adding gums? Not necessarily, because having more talent in the room is never a bad thing. But do I think this is a perfect fit that Oregon should be pursuing? No. Do I think logistically it'll work out? No. Do I think Oregon remains a high uh, remains high on the list for Varkey's gums, given that they added a transfer? Also no. So that's why I don't think that's going to come to fruition. Okay, we got a lot to get to on the show today. Uh, question here via the mailbag. YouTube comments, Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks are the handles. This is from Oregon XYZ. Question, can you compare the inside linebackers, as in the two in the 425, two or three deep from last year to this year, and what are their strengths 
and weaknesses. Why? Yes, I can. There's even this great service that I am fortunate to have access to. It is called PFF. And PFF goes through and grades every snap from every player and gives them a number. Now, I sometimes have beef with PFF, but overall, they do a really, really good job. And when I go through and look at their numbers, it kind of lines up with what I feel what I feel I saw from guys over the course of last season. Sometimes you'll see a number in there and you'll be like, uh, I don't know. It seems like a guy is a little bit better than that. But they are looking at, at every snap that these guys play. So based on 2022 PFF numbers, there were five linebackers who played meaningful snaps as in a significant number in uh, in the 2022 season for the Ducks. So Noah Sewell was best in his own grades on pass rush. And these things were graded on pass rush, run defense, pass defense, and then there was an overall grade as well. So Sewell graded uh, anything above a 70 is good. Anything in the 60s, eh, it's just okay. Anything below 60 is not so good. Anything in the 80s, outstanding. If you have anything in the 90s, which Oregon didn't really have on defense last year, like I think Gonzo's cover grade was like 83.6, somewhere in that range. Um, Like that's, and anything over 70 is good. Anything over 80 is outstanding. Anything over 90, you're probably an early round NFL draft pick. So Noah Sewell graded best at rushing the passer last year. Not surprising. He was quite good at that. And I speculated at one point in time whether or not he should just move to the edge position for the Ducks because they weren't getting a ton of production there. 73 and a half on the pass rush. He was solid in coverage. I know people like to, to harp on him for how he covered last year. 72.6. And ironically, the thing that I've always felt was his best trait, and I think when he was fully healthy and at his best during his Oregon career was his best trait, his run defense graded just a 62.4 a year ago, which is not where you would love for it to be for a guy who was definitely Oregon's best and most consistent linebacker last year. Jeffrey Bossa played a lot. According to PFF, did literally nothing well last season. His highest grade was a 57.9, and that was on pass rush. Coverage and run defense were lower. Like he, he just has to improve across the board. I think he's capable of it. He's bulked up. I think he had some nice moments in the spring game. I, I, I still think that he has the sort of athleticism and twitchiness to be a good player, but he has to improve. And I think we saw that at times last year, and PFF definitely agreed. Here's an interesting one. Justin Flo. Justin Flo graded well against the run. Actually a little bit better than Sewell with a 75.1. Again, not that surprising. Had some impact plays in the ground game. Got out of position a couple times. But he graded well against the run. His pass rush grade was just 45.6. I would have expected that to be higher. But also speaks to what I've said with Flo before. He was never the same after that injury in 2021. And unfortunately, I don't know that he ever will be. Now, one thing that we as fans, and this is confirmation of that when I was diving through into this information last year or uh, the other day, was last year, a lot of people looked at Justin Flo and said, man, seems like he's out of position. Man, he doesn't seem to know what he's doing in coverage. Well, his coverage grade was even worse than Jeff Boss's. It was 32 and a half, which is really bad. So when you look at the top three linebackers that Oregon had last year, Two of them were good against the run. Oregon had a good run defense. One was good enough against the pass. The other two were really not. Oregon's pass defense struggled in 2022, as we know. 
And none of them graded particularly well, except for, well, that's not true. Sewell graded well in the pass rush. The other two did not. Oregon struggled to get pressure in 2022. So all this stuff really, really lines up. The other two guys that were in there, Keith Brown graded well against the run, 72.8. He was a 53 on pass rush and a 63.3 on coverage, which is not bad for a guy who did not uh, did not play a ton. Like 63.3 isn't great, but it's not terrible. Uh, you know, that, that's, that seems about right to me. And then Jackson LaDuke was the other linebacker. He's since transferred away as well. He had an overall grade of 41.8. That's tough. 57.6 in coverage, 37.2 against the run. So was not a high-level player in the eyes of PFF. That's kind of how I felt about him as well. You know, always showed up, played hard, seemed like a good guy and all that stuff, but was not a high-impact player. So when you look at that across the board, the information there, Again, I've said, you know, sometimes I see a PFF grade and I'm like, ah, that's not reflective of, of what this guy is as a player. But this all seems perfectly spot on to me, right? You've got good run grades for, for three linebackers in there, right? Justin Flo, Noah Sewell, Keith Brown, all grade well against the run. None of these guys except for Sewell grade well against the pass. Coverage was an issue defense wide last year. And the linebackers looked like they were a part of that. And indeed, they appeared to have been. So where that leaves us, nice little voice crack there on a, on a Thursday or Friday, if you're listening to or watching the show later or you know, whatever day of the week it is, you know, I appreciate you regardless. What that Where that leaves us is a linebacker unit that has a number of new players and has a lot of room to grow and needs to grow. So the guys that look like they will be the five linebackers, right, who you know, played meaningful snaps from uh, a year ago. That number was five. It looks like, I, and I, I'd expect that to be roughly the same, barring a major injury in 2023. So Justin Jacobs is one guy. Now, he had very limited snaps in, in 2022, but the short time that he was on the field of Iowa, PFF was impressed. His run defense was 81.9. That would be very, very good. Again, smaller sample size, but an encouraging one. His coverage grade was just a shade under 63. Not great. You'd like to see that improve. But his overall grade in the just 32 snaps that he did play a season ago would have been higher than any Oregon linebacker from last season, including Noah Sewell. Now, the, the better representation of Justin Jacobs' abilities, like that, that could be a peek into what he was growing into as his career developed at Iowa. But in 2021, his overall grade was a 65.0. Now, don't hear that and say, ah, that's a D. That's not any good. Because what that meant in 2021, according to PFF, was that Justin Jacobs was a top 70 linebacker in the entire country, which is pretty darn good. So he looked to be a guy who was realizing his potential, showing a lot of increased promise a season ago, and then it got cut short due to, in, due to injury. If he plays at that sort of level, yeah, that's going to be an upgrade from a produ production standpoint at one of those two linebacker spots in Dan Lanning's 4-2-5. Jeffrey Bassa, Again, expected to be there, and I talked about him earlier. We need him to improve across the board. He's He's got to be better in coverage. 
He's got to be better against the run. He's like he across the board. Everything's got to get better. And you know what? I, I'm I'm doubling down on my like for Jeffrey Bossa. I think he will turn into a real solid player this year and put up better numbers, have better moments, make more impact plays. I'm on the Jeff Bossa bounce back train. Devin Jackson, guy who looked really good and fast in the spring game, played just nine snaps a season ago in 2022. How big of a role will he have this year? I don't know, but it kind of looks like he might be one of the top five or six linebackers in there, so we might see him a tad. The other guy is Connor Soelli from Arizona State. He is season ago, wasn't anything special, uh, wasn't awful, but, you know, just he kind of like he's, he's, he's a guy. He might be, you know, an upgrade at least on these uh, PFF numbers over Jackson LaDuke, but 64.6 against the run, 52.2 in coverage doesn't give you a ton of optimism. Maybe he just needs a new system. Maybe he needs a new scene. I don't know. But the guy I'm interested at is Jamal Hill. So Jamal Hill a year ago was a 60.2 playing safety overall grade against the run and a 73.3 in coverage. So if he brings that 73 grade down to the linebacker slot, that would be at the higher level of, uh, of, of coverage grades would have been higher than, any linebacker for a coverage grade a season ago that Oregon had. And that 60.2 number, well, I think about a guy who is bulked up and wonder if he can't up that grade and be a more productive player in that sense. So I, I think, first of all, great question here. Uh, great question here from Oregon XYZ. I love diving into this stuff. I found it really, really fascinating. And I think Jamal Hill... He looked impressive in the spring game, man. So did Devin Jackson, who looked fast. But Hill, he looked comfortable. He looked instinctual. He looked fast. He looked big. I feel like he had everything that he needs. I, or I feel like he has everything he needs to be a good linebacker. Might just need some reps. But curious to see how how that how that all evolves. So hopefully that's uh, thorough enough on the linebacker front. But if you got more questions, by all means, let me know. Let's go to our next question. This is from Blazer Duck, our uh, perennial question asker. What are three positives and three negatives that stood out to you during the spring game? Are you feeling more or less confident in this team heading into summer and fall? I feel more confident after the spring game because of how the defensive line looked. Like that was such a persistent problem that carries over into having other issues in, uh, in, in or carried over into having other issues in 2022. The way that they controlled the game for large stretches of it against an offense, and I know it, you know, it's uh, bits and pieces of starting units and whatnot, but the defense is like that. The offense is like that. And I just think the depth and talent you have, you know, Jordan Birch and Mateo, I think those are game changers, man. I, I think they look, Mateo looks so good. I was really impressed. And I think Birch will be really good too. I don't think he was quite as impactful as Mateo in the spring game, but had some good moments for sure. So I, I think defensive line pressure is is one of the positives. Uh, team speed, both offensively and defensively, it looks like it has gone up. And especially on the defensive side of the ball, that was needed. So I think that was the second overall positive. Third one, depth at skill positions. Running back, we go at least four deep with Dante Dowdell. Jaden Lamar might be a year away. He could be a pass catcher guy. He could be a Sean Dollars from a year ago. I could maybe see that. But I feel great about the running backs. You know, if you tell me, hey, Bucky Irving's got to miss, you know, the Cal game, we're fine. 
hey, Noah Whittington's got to miss the Washington game. Uh, that stinks, but we're okay. We got we got to do this. Hey, Jordan James is out. We don't have a goal line back. Ah, yeah, we do. We got Dante Dowdell. I feel pretty good about what that guy brings to the table. So I, I look there, you know, adding Casey Kelly to the tight end room, shores that up, wide receivers. I think we're good. Like if we add Gary Bryant Jr., great. But you got Chris Hudson, Tez Johnson, Trayshawn Holden, Troy Franklin. I thought Kyler Casper had had some really, really nice moments. Max Torres and I are going to talk about him more on, on tomorrow's show. But I, I, I think there's plenty of depth at wide receiver, plenty of depth at tight end, plenty of depth at running back. And I, I think they all showed out in, in a pretty significant way on uh, Saturday. Here, three negatives, though. I should have done the negatives first. I always like doing bad news, then the good news. Um, that way you end with something, you know, positive. Anyway, so uh, three negatives. Number one, Ty Thompson's first half. Just a lot of the same issues talked about on yesterday's show. Still looks like he just doesn't have the feel for the position you need to be able to execute the offense. So the backup quarterback position puts Oregon on thin ice. It does. I mean, if, if Bonix goes down with an injury, it's it's hard to feel supremely confident if Ty Thompson gets in there in a game where he does have to throw the football and move the offense up and down the field. It's it's hard to see him doing that against another Power Five defense that isn't you know Stanford essentially. But but even 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 then, like I just hard 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 to see that right now. Uh, another negative was that not everybody was there. Now, Junior Angelo, Marcus Harper are expected to be all right, I believe. But those guys, Terrence Ferguson, it, it's it's none of those injuries are expected to be season ending or, uh, or or major or anything like that. But I I just always wonder when I hear you know that a guy injured this and they're going to hold him out as a precautionary measure whether or not that could come back and get tweaked during the season. I, I think that's, I, I don't think it's a major concern. It's, it's just something that I looked at and was like, it's not what I would love to see, especially on an offensive line that probably doesn't have a defined starting five at this point in time. They, they might still be battling out for a position or two, or at least, that's the way we think about it. The coaches might might see it very differently. But I, I just that that I would like for them to get as many reps together as possible because there's so much that goes into playing along uh the, the offensive line. There's so much communication. There's there, there's different calls, there's different checks, there's different assignments, different schemes. There's just there's a lot that goes into that. And someone's got to be the orchestrator. And looks like that'll be Jackson Powers Johnson. Um another negative, I I honestly struggled to to come up with a third one i guess that the offenses struggled to move the ball you know it, it, it's the classic dichotomy of like when something good happens was a good offense or bad defense was a good defense or bad offense i think it's kind of hard to know and, and with the way the offensive line was and how many non-starters were in there i think the lack of running the ball that'd be the other negative is like the the holes weren't there the way they were a season ago but that's because you didn't have the offensive linemen playing together and i think you just kind of showcase the depth on the defensive line that hey if you don't have your best guys going across the board against a lot of different players on that defensive line then then you have some playmakers so even that kind of felt like a positive but um 
Bo Nix not being super duper sharp. I, I mean, I, like I guess, but uh, yeah, those, those are kind of the only negatives that, that I said. The drops. Okay, how about how about that? That that's probably a better. One. I just thought of that. The drops. The drops from Jaden Lamar and Kenyon Sadiq, the true freshman, easy to clean up, but that was not not the best uh, best thing to see from from the young studs. But I, I still think they've got uh, great potential. Okay, last question. Told you we were loaded on today's show. This is from Sam Jet. Love Cole Martin's swag and attitude. He's got that dog, and I know uh I oh he's got that dog. And I had to know, Spencer, if you could bring this is just a radical shift. He's talking about Cole Martin, which which I love, by the way. Cole Martin was great. But then he says, I had to know, Spencer, if you could bring back one or two uniforms, what would they be? I definitely pick the throwback uniforms we wore in 2014 or the Jordan unis. Uh, the 2014 throwback was going to be one of mine, but since you took it, I won't go with that. I've got two calls here for uniforms. I'd like to see Oregon bring back. I mean, they, they should do a throwback every year, right? Make it the same one, do a different one every year. I don't care. You should have a throwback uniform every year. Oregon has some great ones. They look so, so sharp. First one underrated because we lost the game 2015 at Michigan state. Those kind of like sparkly helmets with puddles on the side. They were white. I think we went white, white, gray. If if I remember in that game, let me uh, let me let me, let me double check real quick. Because uh, I I thought those looked incredibly sharp. Uh, yeah, white, 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 gray. They had the wings uh, on on the shoulders. They were tipped with those. I absolutely loved those. Then the other one. I'm just a sucker for the white unis, man. I think they look good. The all-white 2010-2012 classic, you know, OG wings on the shoulder pads, wings on the helmets, the white Stormtrooper Storm LA look. I love the all-white. Absolutely, positively love it. Drop a comment below or shoot me a note at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. Those are the handles. I'm curious what uniforms you all would bring back. I considered 2011 LSU, 2010 National Championship game were good. 2015 Rose Bowl, also elite. A lot of great options out there, but those are the ones I landed on. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.